God spoke to Cain, warning him about his wrong attitude and the fact that sin was right there, ready uh, to take control of Cain's life if he wasn't careful. And we know the story that Cain ignored that advice from God, ignored that command, allowed bitterness and sin to enter into his life to the point that he murdered his brother Abel out of jealousy. This is a warning that God gives to all of us in the reality of sin and the consequences of it. And the desire that God has for us that we should be able to master that sin and to gain control over it. And as I said, this started out as one simple message a few weeks ago, but God's Spirit just has continually kept this before me. So I believe it's something that he wants us all to really take a deep and a serious look at for, ser for self-evaluation. And as I've gone through this study and as I've reflected on the scriptures again and again, here's some questions that I've had, and maybe you've had those same questions. Why does God even allow temptations to confront us? I mean, after all, he's God. Why didn't he just make it all go away and, and make everything right? Why do we have to struggle with temptation? Why doesn't he just protect us from such things? And then another question is, is there any good purpose in temptation? Because we know God is good, and if he allows temptation, then is there any good purpose in it? And if so, then what is it? And actually, the Apostle James gives a forthright answer in one sentence. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 12. And we're going to look at this more deeply, but I think this succinctly states it. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. A couple of things about this statement, I want to make sure we don't misinterpret it. Number one, the word that is translated from the original Greek language in which this was written into English, that's translated as the word under trial. A blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. That word trial can mean just simply that, a difficult time that we're going through in life but it can also mean a temptation, something that is placed before us that would entice us to do something evil. And it can mean either, it can mean or, it can mean both. Because even if you are going through a difficult time that you don't feel necessarily there's a temptation there that's tempting you to do something evil, when you go through a trial or a difficult time, there is that possibility that in the difficult time you're going through, you might just turn away from God. You might just say, God, what's the use? I'm, I'm trying to follow you, and you're allowing these difficulties in my life. And so there is a, perhaps a temptation that you might just walk away from God or give up your faith in God. So even in the tests of life, there is temptation there. But definitely the word can mean and does mean when we're tempted to disobey God in a way that brings about uh, a wrongdoing. Now, here's another thing that we don't want to misunderstand about this verse. This verse is not talking about earning our salvation. The crown of life should not be confused with the gift of salvation. The Bible makes it very clear in multiple places, but Romans 6.23, the wages of sin or the consequences of our sin is death, but here's the good news, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're not talking about earning our salvation by somehow I've resisted temptation, so now I get saved and I've earned my way into heaven. That's not what I believe the crown of life is describing. The way I understand this is the crown of life is a reward that is given to those who have trusted Jesus as Savior. We've accepted that free gift of salvation, and we have learned how to deal with the trials of life. We have learned how to face temptation and to resist it and to call upon Christ and to ask for His strength in our life. 
We're relying on his power to help us through and to persevere and endure and withstand. And therefore, again, it has nothing to do with our salvation. It has to do with how we're living out that salvation in the reality of life. And so God rewards us by saying, you're doing well. You're learning how to overcome. I'm giving you the crown of life. This is a reward to show that you've learned how when you get through life, you trust me, the life giver. You put your trust and faith in me. There's also a beautiful picture in Revelation. There's various crowns that are mentioned in the scriptures in the New Testament. In Revelation, we get a picture where when we have received the gift of salvation and we're worshiping Christ around the throne, it even talks about those who will remove their crowns and place them at the feet of Jesus. And it's a way that we're acknowledging, Lord, you've rewarded us, but really all this just goes back to you. You get all the glory. You get all the praise. So any reward you're giving to me, I'm giving you credit and praise and thanks forever and ever and ever. So when we talk about casting our crowns at the feet of Jesus, these kinds of things, this is the picture we get. And it really is a beautiful picture. It's one that is both edifying for us, but absolutely honoring for God. And so, thinking along those lines, Jesus Christ himself was tempted and tested by Satan before he began his public ministry. Satan uh, appealed to Christ kind of through a fleshly way. Now, we know that Jesus was fully God, is fully God, fully man. So even though he took on the form of humanity and he took on flesh and blood and became one of us, he also retained his full divinity, his full God, godness. And that's what makes Jesus the one and only adequate mediator between sinful humanity and a holy and righteous God because he combines both in the person of who he is. So when Satan came to try to tempt Jesus... It was to try to thwart him from achieving the purpose that he had come to accomplish for us as human beings. So Satan appealed to Jesus to try to get him to use his power in a wrong way, to misuse it. The first way that Satan tried to tempt Jesus was through the lust of the flesh, so to speak, or his appetite, his hunger. Jesus was fasting, going without food, and praying to prepare for his public ministry. Satan, understanding about hunger and all of those things, he said, well, if you're really God, you could just say to these stones, you know, become bread, and then you could have something to eat. And granted, Jesus could have done that, but it would have been disobeying God. It would have been misusing his power to, prov to provide something selfish for himself in those moments when he was fasting to fully focus on the mission that he had come to do. And so that would have been sin. So Jesus rejected it with these words. See if, see if uh, I'm going to see how many of you know this. Jesus responded to Satan by saying, it is what? There you go. Some of you got it. It is written. Every single time Satan came at Jesus with a temptation, Jesus models for us the importance of the word of God the importance of knowing the written word of God, not just hearsay, not just what somebody thinks, but what has been written and recorded down through history from generation to generation. Because every time Satan brought that temptation, whatever it was, Jesus would say, well, it is written. And he used that to resist Satan. We need to follow that same pattern. So then Satan tried to get him, of course, to jump off a temple and basically say, well, you know, God's going to protect you. So you just go ahead and jump off that temple. When the angels rescue you, you'll be glorified. Everybody will say, yay, Jesus. And Jesus said, that, that's, not, that's not what God sent me here to do. That's not the plan. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So, you know, don't, don't be presumptuous. And so he fended off satan's temptation again and then thirdly satan said well you know if you just bow down and worship me you know why do you have to go through i'm paraphrasing here don't know if this is exactly how it went but satan was saying well you know jesus this whole thing about you coming and 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 whatever god's got up with this like you're you're going to suffer and die and all this stuff you don't need to do all that come on i mean after all you're god why don't you just worship me 
And I'll just, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth that everybody worship you. There doesn't have to be any pain, no suffering for you. Because after all, you're God. Just worship me and, and it'll be okay. Because, you know, God put me down here. And so I have some, I have some authority over these world systems. And again, Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God alone. So every single time that Satan tried to get Jesus to misuse his power, Jesus responded by remembering the promises of God that were written, uh, the uh, purpose of his life, and why he came. And this is the same for you and I. This is why it's important for us to understand the Word of God, to understand what has been written and recorded for us, that we might live by it. So we'll move on into a little bit more in James chapter 1 there, because after that initial verse in verse 12 where James says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We need to understand that temptation can serve a good purpose if we resist it. And that purpose is that temptation is a test. Now, God already knows your heart. He knows your spiritual condition. He knows where you're at in your relationship with him and your strengths and weaknesses. But he sometimes will allow temptation into our life as a test to help us to see how mature we really are spiritually, to see where we're at in our relationship with God. It's a way that we can evaluate and say, "Uh uh-oh, I guess I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Or it can be a way of saying, you know what? I've learned some things, and by the power of Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I've managed to resist from yielding to that particular temptation. So thank you, Lord. You're helping me to mature and to grow. So it does help reveal our spiritual condition and our level of spiritual maturity. And it's also an opportunity for us to grow spiritually if we resist it. In the same way that physical exercise, whether you're running or lifting weights or whatever you're, you're doing, there is some resistance to those muscles, right? And it's that resistance to those muscles is what begins to strengthen those muscles. But there has to be some form of resistance, astronauts in space, you know, they've done studies when, when they're up there in a weightless condition and there's not a whole lot of resistance, their bodies can get in a weakened condition. They have to do things to continue to exercise to keep their bodies strong. Well, spiritually speaking, though temptation is, is not necessarily a good thing, it can serve a po- positive purpose if we learn to resist it because by the power of Christ, as we resist those temptations, we begin to develop some spiritual muscle that otherwise, if there was no resistance, we might not be able to achieve. So the scripture goes on and it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So again, it's not God himself that is trying to get us to do things we shouldn't do, but he allows Satan, and this is one of the mysteries of God, God in his goodness and wisdom can even use something and someone as bad as Satan and and ultimately showing that he's sovereign over it, though Satan intends it for evil, God can use it ultimately for good if we learn to trust him and live life God's way, not our way, or not the way that Satan tries to deceive us. So the scripture's making it clear, God is not the one that's trying to get you to do evil. So no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone Now, again, some of you might read that and go, well, wait a second, Mark, you just said that Satan tempted Jesus, and this says that God can't be tempted. Well, when Jesus took on humanity and became one of us, as I said, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. And so when Satan was tempting him, he was coming against that human side of him, appealing to, again, the the human nature, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, the general categories that the Scripture describes for us. The Apostle John describes it in one of his letters. And so from that sense, yes, Jesus was facing the temptation, but again, because he was fully God, he was able to withstand it. And he was able to come through it unscathed, And again, it's what makes Christ alone the fitting, atoning sacrifice for your sins and my sins because he was able to be confronted and yet overcome and not sin. We'll look at a verse that says that in a little bit. 
And here again, the scripture calls us out on it. It says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift uh, is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, and does not change like shifting shadows. God's character never changes. And though his methods at times will change, his character never changes. It's always been by faith and faith alone that we enter into a relationship with God, believing him, trusting him, and yielding to his way. That's faith. Faith is putting what we believe into action. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So even under the old covenant, the Mosaic law, it was by faith that those individuals offered those sacrifices, though those sacrifices that they offered to God in and of themselves could never make them clean of their sin. But they were acting in faith because God said, I'm setting up this sacrificial system because I want to teach you something. And ultimately, it was a point the way to our New Testament times and the new covenant now, which we are under in Christ Jesus, that Christ alone is the one all-time perfect sacrifice for our sins. We don't have to offer animal sacrifices and get into all this gruesome stuff because Jesus, God himself in the flesh, offered his life for you and I once for all time. There's no better sacrifice than Jesus. And so it's in Christ alone that we have this sacrifice that's been given for us, and so we believe that, we trust, we receive what he did on the cross of Calvary for us. So, God's character does not change. And this is something we really need to pay attention to when our culture, we've heard this a lot over the last few years, when there are cultural shifts in morality and things that at one time the culture looked upon as not favorable and not healthy and not good for society, and now the doors have been opened and those things are not only accepted, but they're promoted and celebrated the scripture clearly calls out what is sin and what is not sin. And that has never changed because the scripture again says God's good. His word's true. He doesn't shift like culture does. Um, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So it troubles me when you hear people say you're on the wrong side of history. You need to get on the right side of history. That to me is a huge red flag. What we need to do is make sure we're getting on the right side of God. And we need to stay on the right side of God. And we need to know where God stands on these issues and make sure we're aligning ourselves with him because I got news for you. He's God and you're not. And so any attitude that begins to pull us away from that is where the, the lust of pride and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life wells up within us and we get out of step with God's will and we do not honor him. So our ability to resist temptation is an indicator of our spiritual development. So then the question becomes, well, how can I overcome temptation? Well, the answer is given again in scripture. It is written. God offers strength to us to withstand temptation or the wisdom to flee from it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 through 14, it says this, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. So we all deal with various forms of temptations. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So the scripture is very clear. It is written, there's two options we have when we face temptation. Either God's going to give us an opportunity to flee from it, avoid it, get away from it, or if somehow in some circumstance it's absolutely unavoidable, he's going to give us the strength to bear up under it. And then the apostle Paul writes this in verse 14 after he makes that statement therefore my beloved flee from idolatry now here's the problem 
What did James tell us? The truth about temptation. A lot of times we fall into sin because it's really what we want to do. It's pleasurable. It helps us feel good. It's a form of escapism from trials or whatever we're going through. And we get into this sinful pattern of behavior because, again, it's a way to escape or to get our minds off our problems, but it's not turning to God. And it leads into some really unhealthy behaviors. But because it's pleasurable, fires those pleasure centers in our brain, then we begin to develop those default patterns, and that's just automatically what we go to. It's what leads to all, all forms of addiction. And, I, and I'm not even talking about drugs and alcohol. I'm talking about things like TV and social media and anything that be, can become an addictive behavior in your life. And this is why I believe the Scripture says flee idolatry, and it still applies to you and I today in this culture today. Because idolatry is more than just worshiping a graven image. Idolatry is turning to anything that is not God and focusing your worth and your value and your purpose in pursuing that thing. So it can be your house, your car, your vehicles, your material possessions. It could be your job. It could be your sports. Could be your sexuality, your identity, your race, your political view. I mean, we get into all kinds of stuff that becomes an idol to us. And that's what we uphold, and that's what we fight for, and that's what we stand for. And folks, I'm not saying that as a Christian you shouldn't have values and stand and vote and be involved in all that. But there's a difference between that and making that thing your idol to where it becomes all-consuming and it's all you exist for. When you do that, it's a form of idolatry. And the scripture, it is written, says we need to flee from that. And we need to understand the truth that God offers his presence. And he gives us warning signs to where we can see it. And then we can make the choice to flee from that and avoid it to make sure we're keeping our priorities right. Or he's going to give us the strength in the middle of a difficult culture to be able to withstand it. And still honor him with the way that we live. But again, the problem is sometimes we don't want to flee. We're enticed by our own desire, and it gives birth to sin, and it leads to an unhealthy state. So what are some ways of escape that God provides? Because if the Scripture says he provides a way of escape, well, sometimes it can be something like what we're doing right now. Coming together as a body of believers in the midst of a culture and saying, you know what, we're taking a time out. We're going to come together in the name of Christ. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to worship together. We're going to put our focus on Christ, and that's a way of escape for us. We're able to get out from under the pressures of the world, and we can find fellowship and reassurance by worshiping together and honoring him. That's a way of escape. It's a way that he's provided fellowship in the church. Get involved in a life group. Get involved in the Sunday school class. Do more than just come to church on Sunday morning. That's great. We're glad you're here, and we appreciate you being here. But through the week, find ways that you can connect with other believers because that can be a way of escape from all of the temptations and the trials of this life. But what do we do? Too often, we, we don't take the time to do it. We're too busy to do it, whatever. And now we wonder why we've got the weight of the world on us, and we can't bear up under temptation. So meeting together can be a form of escape. Sometimes I've had people share that they were getting ready to do something that was wrong, whatever it might be. I'm not going to get into all that, but this is a principle now, not a specific. And right as they were about to do that unhealthy behavior or that thing that was sinful, they got a phone call, uh, something that interrupted or a text, and it kind of snapped them out of what they were about to do, and they're like, ooh, that's my wife calling. Oops. Or, oh, I was just about to buy this thing in the store, and oh, my husband just texted me. Oh, well, see, I'll spread it around. Maybe I'm stereotyping a little bit, but the point is this isn't just for men or women. It affects all of us. But whatever that thing is that you are about to do that, that would have been sinful in whatever measure or degree, God sometimes will allow something to happen, and it's his way of waving a flag and go, hold on here, stop, think about this before you act. But too often, what do we do? You get that little warning, and instead of listening to it and fleeing or turning, it's like, okay, well, glad I got that over with. Now I want to get back to what I really wanted to do. And then it's like, oh, Lord, you know, why did you let this happen to me? 
Well, again, it's your own desire. It's your, your own thing that has led you into this. And we've got to get honest about that. So anyway, a way of escape can be sometimes a phone call, a a visit, somebody that's trying to intercede and interject for you, and then sometimes, oh, here's something you've never probably thought about, getting caught. Getting caught in a sinful behavior can be a form of escape. (laughs) Because God's like, you know what, I've tried to warn you. I've tried to send the signs. You've ignored it all. And I love you too much to continue on with this behavior. So you know what? Guess what? The jig is up. Now you're caught. It's going to get exposed. You've got to deal with it. I'm forcing you to deal with it. Sometimes we call those interventions. Sometimes we call it uh, being arrested, depending on whatever the thing is that you've been doing. But getting caught, believe it or not, is actually God's way or can be one of God's ways of causing a way out for you from that temptation because God has more for your life than your current consistent behavior. Now, if that happens, how should we respond in the church? I knew it. I knew it. You know, you just can't trust those people at church. You can't trust anybody. I can't believe that of them. You know, I would have never guessed of all people they did that. That is the wrong attitude to have. Here's what the scripture says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So our attitude needs to be when somebody is caught in doing a behavior that we think is just awful and shameful and I can't believe they did that, we need to come alongside and say, you know what? I'm really sorry that you're going through this time and I do want to help you, so I want to pray for you. And and what can we do to walk with you through this time? And it can't always come from the pastor. You know, especially in a larger congregation, I can't be there for all of you. Neither can our staff. But you can be there for each other. This is why you need to get to know the people you sit next to in these chairs or in your Sunday school class or in your life group. You need to develop relationships. You need to really care about the people around you. When somebody who sits next to you every Sunday at church in your neighborhood, because I know you all sit in the same place as most of you. When somebody new moves into your neighborhood, don't ask them to leave. Don't say, that's my real estate there, and I didn't sell it to you. You know, invite them in, make them feel welcome, get to know them. And if they don't show up one Sunday, then get a number, get an email, Check on them. See if they're okay. Don't wait for Pastor Mark or Pastor Eric or somebody on the staff to do it. The body of Christ needs to be taking care of the body of Christ. And I'm not trying to get out of any of my responsibilities. I, I want to care about people, and I do, and I want to check on them. But the point is, this is supposed to be the body of Christ checking out for the body of Christ. And so it also means that when you find out somebody who has sat next to you or somebody you know is going through a tough time, they've been caught in a sin, come alongside them and offer to pray for them and help them through it. Doesn't mean by doing that that you're saying it was okay what they did. You're just saying, I, I want to help you. I want to be here for you because God's got, God wants to help you through this. Proverbs 13.20 says this, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So the question is, when you're facing temptation or going through a tough time or even in a sinful behavior, who are you hanging with? Are you going to keep hanging with the same people that got you into the trouble and are continuing to be part of the problem? Or are you going to make a choice to begin to get with some people who have a better plan for you with God and want to help you get to a better place in life? It's your choice. Again, it goes back to God giving all of us a choice. Stop blaming God. Stop blaming everybody else. You've got to make the decision and then ask God for help. And if you do it, because it is written, he will provide. So battling temptation is not easy. It wasn't for Jesus. He understands these pressures. And that's why we have this scripture verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says this, talking about Jesus. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, for you English people, I know that's a double negative. (laughs) But it's saying God, Christ is someone who can relate 
to your temptations and your weaknesses, and he wants to help. He's not someone who cannot relate. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, all these categories, yet he was without sin. He withstood it. So if you want to know how to withstand it and to get help withstanding your temptation, go to the one who withstood it. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy is when you are guilty of something and you deserve judgment, but mercy means that that judgment has been relented. It's, it's pulled back. You're shown mercy. So in Jesus Christ, don't listen to the lies of the devil who will tell you, you know, you've done this for the 20,000th time. You are a terrible Christian. Jesus is done with you. That's a lie of Satan. You need to say, it is written that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me for, from all unrighteousness. And it is written that in Christ, I have someone who can identify with my weakness, and he's invited to give me mercy and invited me to come boldly before his throne that I might find grace and help in time of need. So Satan, get out of here, because I am calling on Christ, and he's greater than you are. You see how that works? This is why we need to have the Word of God in our mind, in our heart. We need to be familiar with it because it is the sword which would, with which we can fight back against Satan and his deception and his lies. And it's one of the things that Satan has managed to fool the church, especially in America today. You've got so many people that go to church, and there's a lot who don't. But even those that go to church, half of them have never read the Bible have never read through the scriptures even once, and half of them don't know 90% of what the Bible says. They come to church, they listen to preachers, and it's like, well, yeah, okay, well, yeah, that was a great sermon. And then three weeks later, it's like, well, what was one of the scriptures the pastor mentioned? I don't, I don't know. I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. You've got to get into the Word of God, and you've got to get it in your mind because you are becoming defenseless before Satan, and it's why the church is so weak. So get equipped, get armed with the Word of God. Can I get an amen from anybody? So right before this scripture says, seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, and all that good stuff, listen to what the scripture says right before it gives us this assuring passage. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and to the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account." God knows your heart. He knows your weakness. He knows your sin. He wants you to learn the Word of God, to be honest with yourself, first of all, then honest with Him, honest with others. Learn the Word of God and begin to stand on the Word of God and live it out because that is your weapon against the enemy. And if you don't know it, you're not going to be able to fight it. And it's no wonder that so many people are weak and defeated. Jesus used the Word of God, it is written, to fight back against Satan because it's in the written Word of God that we get God's guidance for life and how to live. That way when culture comes and says, oh, I know, it, you know, they used to do that, but now this is okay, you can say, no, it is written. On the authority of the Word of God, Satan, this is a lie, it is written. This is how God has guided me to live my life, and so that's the standard I'm going to live for. It also reminds us of God's promises. It is written. We have a home in heaven. We're part of the family of God. He's given us a spiritual birth. He wants us to live a new way. He wants us to honor him with our life, even if that means standing in opposition to everything the world and the culture says. It's written. You have the promises of God. Get to know them. And then thirdly, Jesus used the written word of God because it reminded him of his primary purpose for being here. 
And if you don't know the Word of God in your life personally, you're going to forget and not understand the primary purpose why you were born and why God gave you life. And you're going to listen to every deception in the world and the culture. And no wonder people are so mixed up about who they are and what they're supposed to do. But if you go to the Word of God, it is written, He will give you what your primary purpose is. So we need to focus our attention on Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the apostle Peter, who let God down, and he sinned, but he acknowledged it, and he confessed it, and he focused his attention on Christ. Later in his life, the apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. God wants you to pray and talk to him about it. Don't run and hide. Satan will use guilt to get you to go away from God. God uses guilt to draw you to him. That's how you can tell the difference. If you feel guilty and it makes you want to confess and ask God for forgiveness and run to him, then you know God has used that guilt because he says, I love you, and that's why I want to make you aware. Satan uses guilt to say you're no good, you'll never amount to anything, you need to be done with the church, you need to give up on religion and everything else because you're a total failure. Come on, let's embrace this stuff and let's get on with life. Get on the right side of history. You need to decide who you're going to listen to. So you need to pray and ask God for help and be strengthened in his word. It goes on in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Be sober, be vigilant. Sober means to be right-minded, clear thinking. And there is a connotation there. You know, we use sober versus drunkenness. And, what, you know, whatever causes that drunken state in your mind, it's just you're not able to think clearly like you normally would because you're under the influence of whatever. And sometimes we can get drunk with social media. <laughs> So there you go. There's a word from the Lord for somebody today because that wasn't in my notes. Sometimes we get intoxicated and drunk and not clear thinking in social media, and that's worse than any other kind of drug you could take or alcohol or anything. So be sober-minded. Start getting clear thinking. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. There it goes, back to faith in God. Faith in his word, faith in what he has told you, faith in Christ. Resist Satan, be steadfast in the faith in Christ, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory, there's your purpose, being reminded from the word of God, it's not what the world says, it's what God says. I have a purpose for your life. I've called you to my eternal glory, and I want you to begin to learn like we're going to be living in heaven. So stop living like hell and think you're going to make it to heaven. This is the training ground now. Get ready. Today is the day of salvation. Make up your mind. Who are you going to choose to listen to? Are you going to submit to the world or submit to God? Submit to God. Resist the devil. Stand steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood around the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect. That means mature. Remember I said temptation and testing can be actually an opportunity to grow and mature if we learn to resist it. This backs that up as well. After you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. God's plan for your life is so that you can learn to overcome these things. Resistance is not futile. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Therefore, here it is again, same principle. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you, your hearts, you double-minded. That sounds really gloomy, but it's saying you've got to get serious about this sin issue. You can't stop trying to call it something else. You need to acknowledge what God has called it, and you need to truly get to a point where you're just sick of being sick, and you're sick of sinning and all that, and your heart is just crying out to God, Lord, you alone can save me. Help me. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You see, if you start getting the right attitude about sin and stop trying to say it's okay and everybody does it, and you get serious about it and you say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, help me to live more, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, then all of a sudden, 
when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and get your attitude right, he'll begin to lift you up. And you'll begin to find true joy in life that the world cannot give. You'll find a peace that passes understanding that this world cannot give. And finally, you'll begin to mature to a point if you learn to withstand that temptation that now you're positioning yourself to get the crown of life, learning how to get through this life by trusting God. So two quick things just as I wrap this up. Here's some practical things. Train your brain to change. You know, what, what are you allowing to enter into your thought life and your minds? Your entertainment, again, social media, uh, what are your TV shows, the music you listen to. What are the messages that you are allowing constantly to get into your mind? You need to train your brain to change, and you need to begin to find a new source of ways of getting the Word of God and positive things into your life. That's why the Scripture says, whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's true, think on these things. And the Apostle Paul talks about this principle in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So here's something you can do to fight off temptation. When you are tempted to get into behavior that is not good or is sinful, instead of just giving your body and your time and investing all that into that, make a choice and do something for Christ's sake. I'm not cussing there. I'm saying do something for Christ's sake. Get involved in church. Help out. Be part of a Sunday school class, a life group. Do something for Christ's sake. Anybody that has done physical exercise and gets into shape knows this principle. There are days they get up and they don't feel like running or they don't feel like going to the gym. And they don't just cave into their feelings and go, well, I don't feel like it today, so I'm just going to stay home. No, even though they don't feel like it, they get up and they go and they do because in the midst of the constant doing, though they may not do it perfectly, they are training their brain, they're changing their thinking, they're getting their body in line and this is what the scripture says spiritually we need to do. None of us are perfect. And we can all make excuses to say, well, I can't help out at church because I still got this in my life and I got that in my life. And Well, again, God says, get yourself a holy distraction so you stop focusing on all the sin and the negative stuff and start giving your body over your mind, your time, invest in the things of God. And those things will begin to diminish and the things of God will be increased in your life. How many of you have experienced that? Anybody? All right, I'm talking to three people. Great. <laughs> Maybe that's a sign that more of us need to put this into practice. I know it's been true in my life. There's plenty of times when I could have listened to Satan and said, well, you know, Mark, you, you had a bad week last week, and so really this week you just need to call it in and say, you know, sick, you're not, you're not worthy of serving me this week. But that's a lie from Satan you got to keep striving. you got to keep doing what God calls you to do. you got to stay at it. And as you stay faithful to him and you humble yourself, he'll, again, he'll continue to work in your life and, and mature you and grow you. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, if you just keep sitting back and making excuses, you're never going to grow. So step out in faith, do that thing that you think maybe you can't do, but ask God to give you strength and resist Satan and give yourself to serving God and you'll be amazed at what God will do in and through that. Invest your energy wisely. You need to feed your spiritual nature, your Holy Spirit nature, and you need to starve the sin nature. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 says this, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap, or will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You need to make up your mind what you're going to invest your time, your energy, your thought life in. Because whatever you're investing it in and whatever you feed, that's what's going to grow. And what you starve is going to diminish. Train your brain to change. Start acting upon the things the scripture says. Start putting it into practice in your life. Learn to invest your energy wisely. And I close with this. It's in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Sometimes we get to a point where you just realize, you know what? The whole path that I'm on is not right. 
And the people that I'm hanging with, though I really like them, they are not helping. And so sometimes you have to get to the point, if you're going to resist temptation and find a way of escape, you need to change the path you are on, make that choice, and you need to choose some new companions. And that's really hard to do. Years ago, I used to play in a band. It wasn't a marching band. It was a rock band, whatever you want, you know, whatever name you want to call it. We just played some music. People danced to it. Sometimes they got rowdy to it. The guys that I played with, great bunch of guys, had, had a lot of fun traveling around. But we got into some stuff we shouldn't have been doing. I'll just leave it at that. You can guess. Let your mind run wild. <laughs> it really wasn't you know, like some, but anyway, but I came to a point where as a, as a Christian, because I was a Christian, I went to church, and I played some music in church, but then I also went out, you know, on the weekends with my buddies, and we played in different places, and God started convicting me of it, because I was finding that I was continually given in to what they wanted to do, even though in my heart, if I'd been by myself, I wouldn't have done it, but I let that peer pressure caused me to do some things that I really didn't want to do. And finally, God brought me to a point where I knew I had to, I had to make this choice. I got to choose a different path, and I'm going to have to choose some new companions. And I hated that because I liked these guys. But I just saw I was never going to get victory if I didn't get around some positive people. And when I say positive, they were positive. You know what I'm saying. More, more people in line with where I knew I needed to be going, where God wanted me to go. And God has worked in their lives, by the way, in amazing ways. So that's a whole other story. So please don't. i got to be careful with this because they're still my friends. Well, at least I th- maybe they were my friends. <laughs> the point is this. I had to make that decision for me. And so I told them. I was like, you know what? I, I, you know, I, I love you guys. I, I love playing in the band. But God's just got a different direction for my life. And I'm, I'm conflicted right now. I can't keep doing this and do what God wants me to do. So I'm going to quit the band, and I'm going to, you know, get more involved using my gifts and stuff for serving the Lord in the church. That was a really hard decision. It was hard for them. It was hard for me. But it changed the whole trajectory of my life. I started getting involved and surrounding myself with people who loved Jesus. And again, they weren't perfect, trust me, had all kinds of problems. But we were beginning, it, it put me in a position where I could begin to learn better how to resist the temptations that were coming my way. And I'm still learning that. But here's what the scripture says in 1 John, the Apostle John, chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, there it is, change your path. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There it is, change your path, change your companions. Start walking the path of light. Follow Jesus who said, I'm the light of the world. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And then here, it's followed by this verse that I claimed earlier, and and you can claim it today, even right now, if you're still struggling with sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It is written. God loves you. He wants you to resist temptation. He has a better plan for your life. He wants you to learn to walk in that, to be strengthened, to become the person he truly created you to be, and to give you the crown of life along with the gift of salvation if you'll receive it. Would you stand? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that has been written and protected by your Holy Spirit through all these generations. Forgive us when we have chosen not to believe it or not to follow it. And uh, Lord, this is your message. It's not mine. I've just tried to do the best that I can in delivering it. But I thank you that you can even use uh, kind of a sickly, inadequate person uh, to deliver the power of your message. And that way you get all the glory. So Lord, I'm starting with me. And I'm saying continue to show me what you want me 
to learn from this. Help me to continue to resist temptation and to honor you with the way that I live and the choices that I make day in, day out, when people are watching and when people are not watching. Because, Lord, we know you are watching us all, all the time. And, Lord, right now, if there's anyone who has listened to this message, whether it's here in this room or online, I pray your Holy Spirit is dealing with them right now. And in a moment of honesty, they'll be honest with themselves and with you. And that they'll humble themselves under your hand, as you have said. That they might be lifted up and encouraged. Help them to pray. Protect them, Lord. Help them. Help them to be strong, to resist the enemy. Thank you that you are greater, Lord Jesus, than Satan. And that in you, Lord Jesus, we can find victory. So help us, Lord, now to, first of all, respond to your gift of salvation by trusting you and inviting you into our life and responding to you. Help us to follow you on this path of light and to make the choice to also surround ourselves with people who are on this journey together with us that you might be glorified. And help us, Lord, to call others that you're calling out of the world into your kingdom for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. you but I'm thankful for God's presence in my life and walking through me through with me through all of the events of our lives amen walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall but you have never change to come knowing the battles won for you have never 